Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. One of my colleagues, Kim, recommended a podcast she's enjoying called Panam. All about Paris, it uncovers the city's hidden histories, exploring all kinds of strange and interesting stuff about the French capital and the people who have lived there. And it's a show with a strong sense of place. You'll often hear the traffic rumbling away in the background, birdsong, mopeds. It really made me want to go there. The show is made by Amber Minogue, who's from England but who's lived in Paris for the past 18 years. She works there as an English teacher, tour guide, comedian, actor and mother. But her real passion is podcasting. She listens to heaps of them while she's out walking or running. And a pro tip here, they can make doing the vacuuming or washing up a lot more fun too. Here's some of an episode of Panam called La Guillotine. And just a warning for younger listeners, it does contain a few slightly gory details about the process of removing somebody's head from the rest of their body. In Daniel Giraud's book, Guillotine, It's Legend and Law, he starts with a brilliant quote from Victor Hugo. There are those who have no luck. Christopher Columbus cannot attach his name to his discovery. Dr. Guillotin cannot detach his from his invention. Today, we might think of the guillotine as a terrible, barbaric device, but originally it was introduced as an enlightened force for good, or at least equality. It was unthinkable in the 18th century to abolish the death penalty completely, but there was a move to make it more fair and just. Until this point, your punishment was based on your rank, status and crime. Nobles were decapitated, most criminals hung, heretics and arsonists were burnt, murderers broken on the wheel, counterfeiters were burnt in oil and the most atrocious death was reserved for those who committed high treason, such as regicide. I'll spare you the details. Feeling at the time towards the death penalty was beginning to shift, though. It was enough to pay with your life. It was no longer necessary to suffer. Already in 1780, Louis XVI had abolished the use of the question. This was a form of torture that all those condemned to death had to face in order to ascertain if they were withholding any last pieces of information or the names of accomplices. Lobbyist for equality in capital punishment, Dr. Joseph Ignace Guillotin, wanted to go further, and finally, after much debate, the Assembly voted in 1791 that all those condemned to death would have their heads cut off. But, as Sanson, the chief executioner, attested, decapitation by axe or sword often resulted in accidents and was thus far from painless. A better solution would need to be found. Dr. Antoine Louis, The Secretary of the Academy of Surgery was charged with setting up a commission to develop a prototype for a beheading machine that could deliver the painless death that Dr Guillotin had promised. A form of guillotine did already exist and was used elsewhere in the world, but nothing like the sophisticated version created by Louis with the help of German engineer Jean-Toby Schmidt. I'm standing in the rather charming Cour de Rouen, in the 6th arrondissement. It's a picturesque private courtyard adjoining the Corps de Commerce Saint-André, a bustling pedestrian passageway that goes behind the Café Procope, the oldest restaurant in Paris, who's had many a famous person to dine, including Voltaire, 
Rousseau, Dantin, Napoleon, who even left his hat here, Victor Hugo, Benjamin Franklin, and many, many more. This small passage is full of fascinating stories and things to see, including part of the original 12th century walls of Philip Auguste, as well as buildings that date from the Renaissance. But it is also redolent of the Revolution. At number 8, Marat established his publication, L'Ami de Peuple. Dantin also lived here. But it's here, at number 9, Corderoin, that Schmidt, the German engineer, built the original prototype for the guillotine. By 1792, his model was ready for testing. It was set up at the Bisset Hospital. It was first tested on animals, and then the corpses of women and children, and although these were successful, when tested on men, it was not as efficient. But after a few adjustments, Dr Guillotin's daughter was ready to go. The newly developed guillotine consisted of two uprights, four and a half metres high, set 37 centimetres apart. Weights were added to the blade to make it more efficient, so in total 40 kilograms would fall just over two metres and hit the victim's neck at the fourth vertebra. To ensure accuracy, the soon-to-be-executed would put their heads into the lunette, which was literally a moon-shaped holder. Just on a side note about the creation of the guillotine. Sometimes, if you see old prints, you might notice that the blade is occasionally drawn convex and not sloping or bevelled. A popular story would have us believe that it was Louis XVI, on hearing of this new invention, who expressed an interest and asked to see the plans. Supposedly, he noticed the blade and suggested a bevelled one would do the job a lot better. He was right, of course, and nine months later, he would find out how much so. Dr Guillotin famously said, Now, with my machine, I can cut off your head in the twinkle of an eye, and you'll never feel it. He would come to bitterly regret his part in the creation of this device and even these words. The ruthless efficiency of his invention, which did indeed separate head from body in the twinkle of an eye, was so rapid, so easy, that it turned this device into a killing machine, facilitating the terrible events of 1793 and the reign of terror where in Paris alone over 2,000 people lost their heads with only the bare semblance of a trial. No wonder Dr. Guillotin tried in vain to detach himself from his invention. But hold on, did I say painless? From the very beginning, there was speculation as to whether this method was truly painless or not. On July the 17th, 1793, executioner's assistant François Le Gros slapped the cheek of Charlotte Corday. This was the woman who'd assassinated Marat in his bath. But, as the executioner held up her decapitated head for the crowd, people reported seeing unequivocal signs of indignation. In other words, her head had not appreciated this indelicate treatment. This and other stories led people to wonder if a decapitated head retained a certain level of consciousness. Some told of rival members from the National Assembly when finding themselves executed together and thus their heads in the same basket were so outraged that even after decapitation one ferociously bit the other. True or not, there was much speculation that this so-called painless killing apparatus was in fact just a new means of torture and that the head stayed sentient for some time, causing surely physical and psychological pain to the victim. In an attempt to determine the truth, scientists and doctors carried out some dubious and rather disgusting experiments, from simply demanding the head to respond with blinks or react to hearing their names, to pumping blood back into the head to see if it would respond. 
Astoundingly, experiments were still being carried out as late as 1956 in order to establish the truth as to whether or not the guillotine was truly a modern and enlightened means of execution. Nonetheless, it was used up until the abolition of the death penalty in 1981, although the last execution took place in 1977. Jacques-Nicolas Pouletier has the dubious honour of being the first convicted criminal to be executed by guillotine on the 25th of April, 1792. Before an execution, victims were obliged to go through a rather macabre ritual known as the Toilette du Condamné. Their hair was cut and collar removed in a horrible sort of foreshadowing of what was to come. His execution took place in what was then Place du Crève, now Hôtel de Ville. Parisians were keen to see the guillotine in action, and a huge crowd gathered. In an attempt perhaps to make it more spectacular, the guillotine was painted red and set up high on a scaffold. To give you an idea how high it was, in 1795, the eldest son of Sanson, while working as his father's assistant, held up a head for the crowd to see, but slipped and fell and later died of his injuries. A decapitated body loses around three litres of blood, and even with people there to put sawdust down, it must have been a rather treacherous place. From then on, railings were put up to ensure the safety of the people working there. But were the crowds who had gathered disappointed that it was over so quickly? Did Sanson feel marginalised by this terrible new machine? Maybe, but the revolutionary government would make sure what was lost in the drama of the prolonged executions from the past was made up for in quantity, ensuring they had plenty of executions to watch over the next year. Onlookers could marvel at the speed. For example, on the 31st of October 1793, 21 people were dispatched in just 38 minutes. I'm standing in the Place de la Concorde, today dominated by the Egyptian obelisk, but was dominated once by the guillotine. France in 1794 was governed by Maximilien de Robespierre, a fanatic in charge, ironically, of the Committee of Public Safety, which essentially did its best to make sure that nobody was safe at all. He worked the executioners so hard that Sanson even had to ask for a raise for himself and his assistants, as they could barely keep up. And there was even talk of inventing a mega-guillotine that could decapitate multiple people at once. Unsurprisingly, surrounded by so much death, a terrible sort of gallows humours seemed to pervade Paris. It was an excellent cure for headaches, people would joke. It gave the closest shave in town a method of avoiding hair going grey. And the dreaded machine itself soon became a fashionable symbol of the revolution, not forgetting that if you showed any disgust or disagreement, you may very well be next. En place de la Révolution, you could buy miniature models to decapitate enemy dolls or live mice. Pamphlets were circulated with the day's programme, one calling itself the list of the winners in the Saint-Guillotine lottery. The best seats for the show were in the Jardin de Tuileries, where children could play in the gardens and parents could have a drink at a restaurant which renamed itself Cabaret de la Guillotine. And on the back of the menu, each day it would print the list of the catch of the day to be served to the hungry machine. Guillotine jewellery and motifs appeared frequently. Songs were sung about the guillotine, the condemned and the executioners in the cabarets in and around Paris while executions themselves were crowded and theatrical events. The condemned would often walk bravely to their death, or offer the crowds witty departing words. 
Danton was famously meant to have said, be sure to show my head to the people, it's worth a good look at. And the general Baron de Biron, executed on the last day of the year, remarked, I'll soon arrive in the next world, just in time to wish all my friends a happy new year. Although the most famous last words are perhaps those of Madame Roland, who on seeing a Statue of Liberty cried out, O Liberty, what crimes are committed in thy name? But of course, the biggest show on the bill, and that which drew the largest crowds, was the decapitation of Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette, which took place on the 21st of January and the 16th of October, 1793, respectively. Apparently both Louis and Marie Antoinette went bravely to their deaths. Episode 7 of the Panam podcast, and that's Panam spelt P-A-N-A-M-E, called La Guillotine, presented and produced by Amber Minogue. And you can find a great list of some of Amber's favourite shows if you go to the Podcast Hour page right now, rnz.co.nz forward slash podcast hour. And thanks for recommending that too, Kim. Next time you hear something good, then don't keep it all to yourself. Do let me know about it. Pods at rnz.co.nz is the email address. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.